0: Hello, and welcome to CBO Speaks. I'm your host, Donna Sheeley. Glad to have you with us today. Today, we're talking with Myesha Williams, Executive Vice President, Finance and Administration, and Chief Financial Officer at Marymount Manhattan College in New York City. Hi, Myesha. Welcome. Hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. It's truly a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you. So, Maisha, tell us a little bit about MMC because it's a unique college. And how long have you been there? So, I've been at MMC for about two and
1: a half years. I actually started two weeks before the pandemic, if you can believe it or not. Um, <laughs> oh, and I know. And MMC is a small liberal arts college in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Um, we have a long history, though, and we have a, a really rich, um, program in theater and dance and performing arts, um, visual and performing arts as well. And so, um, it's, it's a really great, we, we call ourselves small, but mighty. And so we have a really great community culture,
0: um, in, in the middle of, of Manhattan. I love that. Okay. We got to dig into that. So, (laughs) all right. Well, first of all, let's talk about your journey to MMC. um, And then we'll get into how all that happened with you just getting there right before COVID (laughs) hit and all of that. But first of all, tell us your journey to uh, Marymount Manhattan.
1: I'll talk a little bit about even kind of how I decided on higher ed. Okay. um, Because I think that that's kind of where it all started. So, I come from a long line of educators and activists, and I kind of feel like those things go hand in hand. Um, both of my parents were educators. My mom actually started her own school in her twenties, if you can believe it or not. And, and my father was a teacher and then a principal and an administrator. And so I feel like education has kind of been in my blood. Right. Um, and so, you know, I started my career not necessarily thinking I was going the education route, but I was really good at numbers and went into accounting um, and started in public accounting and started having higher education clients like early on in my career. And I was really drawn to it, not just because of my background in education from my upbringing, but also because I could see the true impact. That the work has, you know, you can really see the impact that um, anyone that's working in higher education. You see the students, you see the the experiences that they're having, and that to me was a real draw. Um, and so that's how I kind of came to be in higher ed, and and I pretty much worked my entire career either on the audit side or working. Actually at institutions. And so my first job at a higher institution was at Howard University Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. Um, (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And I actually went to high school right across the street. So Howard had a really close place in my heart. You know, I'd I'd been around Howard growing up and so, and so forth. And so I had a a really draw to, to Howard as well. And a lot of that experience really led me into then Joining George Washington University, um, where I led and oversaw the financial management, um, function there. And then that led me then to Marymount Manhattan, um, where, where I am now. And so it's, it's really been a long career in, in higher education on the finance
0: side and accounting side. And, and I've really enjoyed it along the way. That's awesome. I, I have to ask, what type of school did your mom open, um, when she opened her school? absolutely. It was a school kind of based in the African-American
1: roots. Um, and so, and so it was to, to basically develop your own curriculum and teach your own children in essence, um, about the history of where, where we come from as black people and so forth. And so it was in, um, in Southern California. Um, and she opened it with one of her best friends that we actually call her, our aunts, you know, um, she, she opened it with, with one of her best friends at the time. Um, and, and that school was open for, for many, Decades, um, and, and recently transitioned into a, a different type of school, but um, it was great. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. I, I have an education background too, so I was an educator for years, and I was an administrator. So, and I went to went to an HBCU. So all those connections. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. So that's awesome. And you know what? You said something so key. It's like you didn't think you would go the education route. And it's so amazing how even with you working with numbers, being an accountant, that you were still able to, In education. So it just goes to show that it doesn't matter. You know, there's different ways that you can touch and be a part of education. So that's really key. So a little, I want you, it's such a unique college. I'm all into the arts. I love dance. I love that. And so, and you're in the middle of New York City. So tell us how that affects your everyday operations and what you have under your belt that most CBOs may not because of where you are. From my realm of responsibility, I oversee
1: all of the finance and operations for the college. So everything from the traditional accounting and general accounting office, um, through IT, HR, um facilities, our auxiliary services, real estate portfolio, kind of the whole gamut um, from my from my responsibilities. And when we think about the college in itself, um, yeah. I, I think New York City presents great opportunities, um, yeah. especially in the fact that we lean heavily creative. Um, and we think of creative in the broadest sense, not just mm-hmm. the uh, theater and um, and dance necessarily. But you think yeah. about the creative even in um, communication arts. You think about it in, in kind of the broadest sense. And you think about it in terms of what do our students want to do when they graduate? They may not just want to Dance necessarily, they may want to open their own dance studio, and so being able to pair dance with how to create your own business, and maybe a double major in dance and business, right? And so you have kind of that that broad um, stroke of um, not just the performing arts, but but also um, the liberal arts and and other kind of backgrounds to kind of pair their creative with other kinds of majors. Um, And so I think that's the the real niche that we have, so to speak, from from a college perspective. Our location is so rich in so many different areas from a cultural perspective. Um, And I think that's what makes us unique between being able to balance both um, kind of leaning heavily creative, but also the the broader liberal arts um, education And in New York City, where could you ask for a better location, right?
0: Wow. Uh Yes, it is so fascinating (laughs) to me. I love it. I even when I was watching a little bit about your school on um online and we're talking about the science department and how you pivot that to creativity so in the video they said if you want to know what those puddles what what are what's inside those puddles uh outside in new york uh you can do that with that's how we approach science so i was like oh my goodness it's so unique and I, i love that i love that 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 you utilize the city. So let's talk a little bit about that. It, it's in a huge city. So talk about how you work with the city on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure as a CBO, you work with some of the city managers and things like that. Talk to me a little bit about that. As I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I
1: started my role two weeks before the mm-hmm. entire world shut down. Yeah. So yeah. I would say in the last two and a half years, um, our work with, or my particular work with the city has been primarily around the pandemic response um, and the guidelines around that. However, more broadly, we always like to be community partners. Um, and, and we, actually have a gallery that's open to the public um, on our, on our main level and, and showcase all of the great work from our students and faculty um, on campus. We, we partner a lot of times. We we um, open up our theater performances and dance performances to the community as well. Um, and as we are making great uh updates to our infrastructure, we also try to make sure that we are <laughs> mindful of our neighbors through that process. And so we sometimes, you know, Try to think through how to make sure that we manage the complaints and from a noise perspective as well. Um, and so, the, I, I think our, our work with the community is on is is on many different fronts um, from that perspective. But but my work with the community primarily has surrounded around um, the pandemic response. And I really am looking forward to the upcoming year where we are not so bogged down by COVID, um, so that I can really start to bridge um, broader partnerships there.
0: Yes. We're going to talk about that a little bit um, later, but um, I know you do have a lot of things, as you mentioned, on your plate. What would you say you spend the most time working on now during your day? Ah, that's interesting. It it depends on the day.
1: It depends on the day. <laughs> on the day. Um, I would say, you know, my work kind of has cycles in essence. Um, and then, some of those cycles get completely interrupted by um, exciting and, and emergency things that might happen. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I, I definitely have my eye on the finances. Um, absolutely. You know, in the middle of um, not only a pandemic, but also in the middle of a shift in the industry as we are thinking broadly about what the future of our college holds, what the future of higher education holds as, uh, you know, we're trying to manage all of these different kind of competing priorities, competing challenges. Um, I, I, I want to make sure that Top of mind that we are financially sustain, sustainable and investing in the right things, and so that's that's something that is always at the forefront. However, with my portfolio, I also need to make sure that from a technological perspective, we you know that our students, faculty, staff are really have the resources that they need, um, and that has been a challenge because it you know technology is is expensive. Yes. <laughs> um, yes and we are a small college. And so making sure that we have the resources in the right place um, from a technology standpoint and infrastructure standpoint. um, And I will say when I first started, obviously so much of my time was on emergency response just in with the pandemic. And then we would also overlay on top of that, oh my gosh, we have a storm coming towards New York City in the middle of, in the middle of moving. And, you know, there's all these different things that would it lands on the plate that you can't anticipate. And that's why I say kind of every day is different. Um, But I think part of that also then brings an opportunity to get involved in so many things. And I have learned a tremendous amount over these last two and a half years. I feel like it's um, two and a half equates to 10 <laughs> pandemic years, right? I can <laughs> imagine, yes.
0: Yeah, you um, were thrown into the fire. Like, woo, yeah. here you go.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So let's talk post-pandemic because, you know, we can, that's a phrase we're hearing now. So what changes in higher education are you seeing post-pandemic? Specific to MMC and, and and as a whole, part of the the big question we have is how do we manage through this demographic
1: shift? Um, we have declining enrollments across the industry, but mm-hmm. also the de- declining populations of students, prospective students, even coming into the industry, right in our pipeline. Um, and so, I think what's incredibly important for us post pandemic is to really focus on our value proposition for every college and university. I think that is what's, what's kind of top of mind. And how do we justify our, our rising tuition prices? How do we meet our students where they are? You know, I think, um, the, the traditional student historically was, was okay coming into the classroom, having the, the, um, Kind of structured curriculum. I think the students of our future are looking for much more flexibility, looking for tailored, ed, you know, a tailored educational approach. Um, and, and being able to show how we can meet those students' needs in the future of the pandemic. Um, and really thinking critically about how to be innovative, um, how to be strategic how to take really bold risks, which is not necessarily something, especially as CBOs, we are risk averse mostly. <laughs> we are thinking about how to manage risks, not necessarily how to take risks. But I think that's the kind of future of the industry and the future, future of the the role that we play um, in in the future of of our institutions.
0: Well let's go back a little bit talking about your journey. Um, as an African American woman in this role, we don't see that as as many, uh, we're seeing more, but not as much. Um, talk to us about your mentors and people who have helped you along the way and how you are reaching back and helping, you know, some other African-American women become CBOs as well.
1: Absolutely. I have had some incredible mentors throughout my career. Um, and I, I think I think about, I mean, the list, if I were to name them all, the list is too long to even name. That's awesome. Um, but, and, and they have each played a different role and a critical role throughout my career. Um, and I think about one of my first mentors who I met when I um, first came to the DC office at PWC. Um, and her name was kind of ambiguous. I had no idea that she was also a black woman and I was not used to seeing other black women in public accounting. And so to see someone, um, as my supervisor, um, kind of paved the way for me was really incredible. Um, and she be, she's now one of my really close friends as well, but throughout our career journey, she has always been the person that advocated for me when I wasn't in the room. And she created opportunities for me to have a seat at the table because I was, I, you know, I was qualified for it didn't necess- wouldn't have necessarily been able to sit at that table. And it allowed me to progress throughout my career, kind of modeling myself from that behavior. And, and when I think about, what each of my mentors has done for me throughout my career, I also want to make sure that I am that same mentor to others. Um, And so I try to reach back as well and provide similar opportunities and thinking about who are those individuals that are well qualified, but maybe not as outspoken and maybe not as out in the forefront that really just need that boost for the opportunity, um, to be able to, 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 to progress and, and get to the level, um, and to, and to really achieve all the things that they're hoping for. And so that's, that's really, I've taken those things from each of my mentors and tried to be the same for the others coming, um, coming behind me as well.
0: That's great because there may be some that don't even realize this is an opportunity that they could have being a CBO, working in the finance realm, but also being a part of higher ed education. So that's huge. That is huge. So, you know, looking back over your career, if you had to do something differently, like you 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 did something and maybe you learned from it, <laughs> but if you had to do it over, you know, you would do it a little differently. Can you think of something um, that kind of stands out in your career. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: When I think about one of the biggest lessons I've learned, it's not, um, I'm going to actually borrow from a recent experience I had. I went, I went back, went back to grad school in the middle of a, uh, my full time career as I was, you know, kind of growing, continuing to grow into my leadership position, um, and just graduated in 2020. Um, but one of, one of my, thank you very much. <laughs> one of my favorite, um, classes, courses that I took was on leading teams. And it was one of those courses where you take a bunch of assessments to understand your leadership style, how do you naturally work on teams, um, and you get, you know, kind of a bunch of results. And then we were randomly selected and placed into groups to work with throughout the semester. Um, And we had two kind of critical assignments for throughout the semester. One was a big presentation and the other one was a paper. Um, and when we got together as a group, we realized that we were all natural implementers. We all had the same kind of working style and, and we worked so well together as a group. We, we commented on all the time. This is one of the best teams I've ever been on. We worked so well together. Um, and we did our presentation. We kind of knocked it out of the park. Um, and we did our paper. We turned it in early. We, we were like so efficient. So through it. And we got our paper back and we did not get the grade that we thought we were going to get. Oh, wow! Um, and what we realized when we looked back was we had not read through all of the instructions and we missed a whole question. Oh, wow. And when we self-reflected back on that as a, as a team, what we realized was we were all pushing towards completion. And we were all the same working style. We all had the same working style, the same leadership style, and nobody took the time to really read all the instructions. Mm. Um, and when I think about how that applies kind of to my career, I think about, you know, we were a diverse team by every respect. When you think of race, gender, background, but we did not have a diversity of thought. We did not have a diversity of approach. We did not have a diversity of, of leadership styles. And I think had we, you know, oftentimes you want to have people that are just like you on teams because it makes it easy. It makes it fun. But that does not necessarily make it effective. Mm, <laughs> and so I, fair. yeah, I think about, all the times in my career now about how to bring teams together when I'm hiring, when I'm putting together working groups to achieve major initiatives and thinking about making sure we are there. There are varied perspectives. In addition to all of the normal things that you might think of, we need to be diverse in, in, in the broadest sense of the word. Um, and I always think back to that lesson of remember, you didn't get that grade that you thought because you were working with all the same people like you, right? Um, and bringing different perspectives to the table is so, so critically important. And so that's a lesson that I've used <laughs> ever since then. Um, because I, I like to kind of I pride myself on thinking about diversity in teams. And, and that's something I had just missed until that, until that time. But it's, it's been a really critical lesson that I've had to carry forward into
0: my career. So that's good. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. Thank you for <laughs> sharing that. All right. So before we wrap up, I want to talk about your future. Um, what's your future look like in higher ed? What are you looking forward to?
1: You know, I am really just kind of at the at the basic level, looking forward to being in an environment that is not consumed by COVID. Um so this upcoming semester will be the most what I quote unquote normal of the semesters that I've had, right? You Mm -hmm. know, I was an entire two years in some sort of remote um and and you know, hybrid environment. And so really being back on campus and having everybody back together. And granted, we are still, you know, some of our offices still have flexible work arrangements and some people still have some days at home, but being able to get together, I I used to get together with my teams for lunch and happy hours and that sort of things. And we haven't been able to do that. So just being able to get to know my team at a level that Zoom hasn't allowed, that's, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but I think more broadly, I think back to when I first started and I had my 90 day plan and there was a list of all the goals I wanted to hit and I, I accomplished anything because of everything the pandemic was all consuming. And so pulling that list back out and adapting it to figuring out how to just push the institution forward in this post-pandemic world, I'm really excited to tackle the real work, right? Um, Not the emergency crisis work, but the real work of all of the great initiatives that were underway prior to the pandemic that you know have have moved forward but not as fast as as we would hope and so that's kind of what i'm really looking forward to.
0: Well, as we close up, i want you to define for us maisha success. What does a successful cbo look like? Ah, that's a great question.
1: I would say a successful cbo is a strategic partner first. And that's a strategic partner to the president, to the board, to their peer colleagues in, in, in cabinet. And that, and what follows them closely along with that is a, is a true collaborator. Um, thinking beyond the numbers, thinking beyond the finances or, um, the things that are top of mind for us, really thinking about the institution as a whole. What are the strategic priorities? What are the academic priorities? What are the, um, priorities for the advancement office? Really understanding kind of every component and facet of an institution. And, and, and so being that collaborator. And I would also say, there is a creative component as well that is, mm-hmm. is, is more important than it had ever has been in the past for us to really think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Things, think very differently about what our roles are and what role we play in an institution and also think about um, how we can solve the biggest problems that are facing the industry, um, and really reach even beyond just our own institutions and really collaborate across institutions and so forth. So I think that's what success looks like. It's the strategic partner, the person that's able to really collaborate at a different level and think creatively about how to, how to address challenges and really take advantage of the best opportunities.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maisha, for joining us today on CBO Speaks. I've enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been this has been great. Thank you. You can find out more about today's episode by visiting podcasts at nakubo.org under professional development. Then click online education. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts so that you can get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Maisha Williams from Merrimack Manhattan College, I want to thank you for joining us on CBO Speaks. I'm Donna Sheely. Be well.